from Los Angeles, California on the MTV Podcast Network. This is North Mollywood. I'm Alex Papadimus. Seated across from me, the voice that Tom DeLonge hears when the aliens talk through his lip ring and tell him to do things, Molly Lambert. Hey, everybody. We were just deep in conversation about Halloween, which is weird because it's July. I don't think, I think that's when July 4th is exactly when I start just being like ready for fall. I'm always ready for fall because fall is my favorite season, but when it gets real hot, I have this theory that July 4th is both the beginning and end of summer. It's like the climax and also the beginning. And then it's basically August. And once it's August, it's, you know, nobody wants that. Nobody wants it to be August. Well, the thing here is that uh, about Los Angeles, the, it, it, summer goes through like mid-October. That's Ugh, the problem. So you, you're not really at the midpoint. No. And when, as soon as it's September, because my birthday's in September, and September I just have this expectation that suddenly it will be like the leaves are changing and there's a crisp breeze and everybody's apple picking and it's just like... 110 degrees and everyone's flopped out. It is really summer, though. We're going to talk about pop punk this week because uh, it's summer and that is the uh, it's the indigenous music of Southern California in the summertime. It's true. And and Blink-182. And the Warp Tour. And the Warp Tour, uh, which I have never experienced. Really? I've never been warped like that. I'm shocked. I, I've never. You got uh, some vans, though, ever? I've I've owned many a pair yeah, of vans. Yeah, you're a Californian. I've owned, many, I've owned, like, vans apparel. I've owned things within the, and I've had to wonder about, like, should I wear the vans jacket with the shoes, or is that too much Do you ever have vans? the checkerboard vans? I had the checkerboard vans. That was like, probably the first vans I ever owned. That's like, like they give that to you when you grow up in California. They're just like, here you go. Standard issue. Yeah, those are those are issued exactly like at the door of the state as you as you come in, as you you know, as you move south at some point down I five, they stop you and they Did you ever skate? I uh, am pathetically inept at it. So I tried. I definitely tried. And I definitely wanted to be... The, the, I, I envied that culture to a, a great degree. Oh, yeah. Of I always wanted to be part of it. And, like, I had a Big Brother subscription. That was my skate mag. <laughs> I, so I was, the, I, I was the discerning... I was a, I was a non-skateboarder who was still too good to read Transworld, basically. Was. Uh, what about surfing? So never. 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 Not once. Maybe now. I'm, like, almost old enough that I could take it up and, like, I'd just be, like, an old dude out there. Fighting you know? the ocean seems, like, incredibly fun. That's how Iggy Pop stays in shape, apparently. Really? Fight. He, go, he lives in Miami, and he goes and fights the ocean every day. <laughs> does he surf, or does he just, like, punch no, the ocean? No, he literally goes and, like, fights the ocean. Like, people have seen, he just goes and, like, rah, just, like, kind of punches, oh. like, like, he's going to punch his way to the other side somehow that's great it's gonna go fight a squid (laughs) um all right so we've talked about uh, undersea life now uh check that off the list for this this week we did that uh let's talk about oj this week last night i watched the final episode of oj made in america the the happy ending i would say somewhat maybe i don't know it's weird because you watch that fourth one and the fourth one is the most hardcore in terms of the that is the one where if you especially if you recorded it off the original airing because i guess they pixelated some of the really gory stuff but that's the one where you're really confronted with oh they did not pixelate it in the version i saw me which neither was the online version and i a little bit saw a couple things i wished i hadn't seen yeah, I'd never seen, if any of that had been public before, or I'd never seen it. And that's really traumatizing to watch. And it's kind of the darkest passage of the, 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 the story. And, you know. Well, it also makes you be like, oh, no, I've been watching this as entertainment. And there are dead people in this story. 
uh, I remember once I was reading a book about the Manson murders and it had a crime scene photo I'd never seen before of the crime scene of Sharon Tate uh, pregnant and naked and dead. And I was like, oh, I feel disgusting now. <laughs> like, right. why did I think this was interesting? This is horrible. I need to, like, put this book away and go take 100 showers. Right. I'm a ghoul. Yeah. I'm bad for participating in the culture of this being entertainment. But the OJ documentary kind of takes that to task also. It is about that. It's about how it became the media circus. And they use the term media circus a lot. Yeah. And I, yeah, I mean, I don't know. What do you think about the happy ending? I I mean, so we watched two in a row because I, I think partly because it's like four was such a rough one to end on. And then you watch five and it's the, that one, I think, was in, in a way it was the, it was the phase of his life that I knew the least about. The Florida years. The Florida years, which get really insane like I had no idea like when he starts making rap videos oh my god and his like home video show there was a lot of stuff I didn't know anything about and then the entire uh going to do the heist the <laughs> the worst I was calling it OJ's 11 <laughs> just like OJ and his squad of sort of ne'er-do-wells that he has befriended people that are like willing to be his friend specifically because they know he's a bad dude uh, and they all go together to steal something back from somebody that OJ thinks has stolen this memorabilia from him. But it's like so badly planned, so badly executed. And uh, the guy who they steal the merchandise from is like kind of has a great sense of humor about it. He's kind of like, hey, maybe I did steal that stuff. Well, yeah, he's like, yeah, maybe I did. I mean, he's pretty clearly he he set up OJ. That's the that's the subtext from of that. It seems like to me because he's he had the forethought to record everything that happened. You're like, why is there tape of this? Like, I know that you're on camera every second of your day when you're in Las Vegas, and that's where this happens. You're always on the eye in the sky. But he also has audio of OJ saying like, you think you could take my shit? Like all that. It's like he, and he really, he like planted a tape recorder in a good spot for like to get good, pretty good sound. And like, obviously he's thinking about it and he's pretty cavalier about basically saying like, oh, maybe I did kind of set him up. Maybe I am a rat. Everyone in that part is somebody who has called into the Howard Stern show and like called Gary a horse tooth jackass. Like it's absolutely, (laughs) it's like suddenly a whole new class of character enters that story. Plus he, yeah, his, his boys who are all like, his age basically like they're all that's the thing it's like he's like you know yeah he's rolling with some really dangerous thugs and like perhaps but they're older gentlemen as well which contributes to the general kind of oceans feeling like it's you know it's definitely like the one last job (laughs) and then you know they're not going to get away with it it's wild hogs for armed robbery it totally is it is it's again it's sort of like a funny reprieve from all the horrible stuff that's been happening in the documentary because you're like, well, nobody died in this part of the story. It was just sort of like an idiot crime. And it really, I mean, that's the crazy part is that it's, he, it is, I mean, I guess they don't know that it's going to be a heist because it doesn't become a heist technically. It until also sounds like the kind of thing that they started thinking about it at like 2 a.m. that night where they were like, hey, man, you know, it'd be great. Like they're all just coked out and like, hey, you know what we should go do? We should go steal this stuff back. Yeah. There's, there's no 
forethought about how it's going to happen once they actually get there. <laughs> no, because there's they're even and I mean this is a very common Vegas experience, but they're walking around looking for the they're like in the wrong tower for a while and they're so they're trying to find the place and so they're all just on camera the entire time just walking through every every place that they go. Uh, so yeah, I it, I think I I probably enjoyed it more than I should have just because it was like this sort of this this palate cleanser, but it's also there's a there's a degree of, you know, I think it's it's cathartic to watch it happen because it's it's somehow because because the bad person gets punished for yeah. doing something they didn't get originally punished for. And you sit there and you do the math and you're like, oh, he'll be 94 when he gets out of prison, or he'll be 70 when he gets parole, and that's somehow very you know satisfying. And to- they've been playing like that sort of fake LA Confidential House of Cards music the whole time, and then suddenly it's like I started hearing like the Benny Hill song in my head, <laughs> just like just. Trying to get the squad to go in the one direction. Yeah, they, yeah, exactly. They'd go up and, and steal the footballs out of yeah. out of the thing, and the, you know, then they stole the Joe Montana memorabilia, and that makes it a crime. That, that is that what over. it was that well, they stole other the people's wrong me- memorabilia. Yeah, they stole stuff. Basically, that I think the moment when it becomes armed robbery is when they start filling up pillowcases with whatever's in that room, and the memorabilia dealer guy's been like, "Oh, this guy's really interested in OJ memorabilia. He might want Joe Montana stuff." Like right. Some, we got some. The guy shows up with a trunk full of stuff, and they're like, "Oh, we just wanted the OJ." stuff what happened to all the oj stuff and he's like oh i thought you were just like a big spender who wanted all this memorabilia and they're like no we don't want lithographs my man like (laughs) we want oj things and apparently they're thinking that he's going to come up there like with the heisman trophy like that is you know because this whole story of like that of the agent and like all the stuff going to the storage lockers and all that like that's a thread that feels like it could be its own chapter just because the like the the kind of scramble to keep all the memorabilia away from the Goldmans. You yeah. Know? It, it, and it's fascinating because you're watching that and the, the agent is so candid and so forthcoming. And so it, like it, you, you realize after a, after a while, like why that is, because he's not, he kind of has to cover himself in glory by being super honest because he's sort of embroiled in this whole memorabilia thing as well. It's like, he's, he's the catalyst for it happening because somebody forgets to pay the storage bill. And yeah. Like, it's he, not, you know, not sketchy. Yeah. Exactly. He seems like this really good guy. And then you're like, wow. But then you realize that he stayed with OJ for kind of a long time, which I guess is what an agent has to do. But (laughs) it's like, when did you start feeling bad about this, bro? Like, you know, I don't know. Well, it's also like moral relativism where you're like, he's not the worst guy compared to some of these other guys who are such bad people. (laughs) His Uh, other clients were like Darth Vader. Yeah. Voldemort. No conscience. I mean, what kind it just is psychologically fascinating where you're like is somebody who got away with something just feels motivated to like see what else they can get away with like why doesn't he just stay in Florida hide out in whatever mansion he has there and just like never try anything ever again he's trying to steal back his legacy right, right. Like, he's addicted no, to fame that's yeah. what everyone keeps and saying and there's no amount of like of like coke and threesomes that can sort of fill that hole because what he really wants is to be the, the, the beloved OJ again and that's why he goes they say that that's why he goes to Miami because for some reason and it's sort of like because they're like oh you know they kicked him out of Los Angeles but in Miami like nobody cares yeah, this goes exactly in Miami. Everybody just wants a picture with him. Well, I that kind of adds to my theory that Florida is the California for Californians. <laughs> it's like the last stop, the place you go when you have to go somewhere and you've run out of places to go. What about uh, that Wendy Williams interview? 
that's crazy because at first I'm like, yeah, Wendy Williams, like it's about time somebody actually calls him out on this stuff. But then in the course of that interview, she falls in love. Falls in love with him. Like, I mean, she it's you know she it's performed obviously the whole thing. But yeah, it's a weird. That's a weird thing because she does. You, you're watching someone kind of get charmed by him in real time, a little bit. A little bit, which he didn't even seem that charming at that point. No. Uh, I think he was super charming early on, which I think again is like what the documentary really gets across that the show, the fictional show, couldn't quite convey. Uh, which yeah, just that he's he kind of has like a politician quality of just being able to like charm anybody, kiss babies. And you see why so many people fell in love with him. And uh, it's a depressing show. It is a depressing show because there is some, there's something very depressing and very sort of late boogie nights building up to the, I guess that's his sister Christian moment in the hotel room. But like, I thought of like Dirk Diggler's, uh, you know, like a, we will rock you or whatever. Oh you know, yeah. His, like if, he basically makes his feel my heat at some point, <laughs> except it's, he's rapping and what is that song? Elvis. The song is like about, the murder, right? Yeah, it's like the crime of the century. Yeah, right. Like it, I don't know where that saw the light of day. If anybody is an OJologist, that just and shows you the judgment too. Where you're like, who would think that this was a good idea? To I mean, he must have just been so desperate for money, I guess, to do that. But also maybe just any kind of notoriety. No notoriety is bad notoriety. If you. Are yeah. that kind of person? I mean, he was pretending to be homeless, like selling oranges by the side of the, the well, highway. That was for the in prank video. show, right? For the prank show, yeah. But the, he was willing to do a prank show that was based around the idea of like, I was in a very high profile murder trial and I lost the civil case and now I'm broke. And that's the premise of this bit that I'm now selling oranges by the highway. There's something a little king of comedy about it. Yeah. <laughs> where you're like, does he want to get arrested again because it means he'll be in the media spotlight one last time is that his greatest tragedy is that people might forget about him he must love all this stuff that's happening now he must love the documentary and the show because it's brought the case back into the spotlight and made him a sort of important cultural figure again for a year See now, now you've ruined it. For now me. I've ruined it. Now you've actually, it's good. I was sad that it was over, and now I'm like, yeah, good. Oh, that yeah. was creepy. I so shouldn't stop be... thinking about him. Yeah. He's he's a creep. Yeah, we need to stop. I I should I should uh, not order that uh, home video off of eBay like I was thinking about doing, <laughs> so that we could I could watch the entire. You should of order it. that home video. I probably already. EBay. I kind of maybe did already. Speaking of California historical legacies. As we often are. As we always generally are. Pop punk is something we've been talking about a lot. And I wrote about Blink-182 this week and the Red Hot Chili Peppers last week, who are not strictly pop punk, but will fall into this category for the purpose of this conversation. 
I always associated, I mean, the Chili Peppers were one of the first bands that I ever felt had a subcultural association where I was, by getting into them, I was aspiring to membership in a subculture because everybody had the t-shirt in my high school of the the sort of whatever you want to call that. What is the, the Chili Pepper mandala? I don't know what that actually is supposed to signify. I don't know either. I believe it signifies blood, sugar, sex, and magic. Hot. Well, that's what the, yeah, when they have the heads and everything, that's each of, you know, but that, and that was the point that they were at. It was their breakthrough moment. Um, and this was like, I was, I was like, yeah, I'm going to ride that train. I'm whatever. I'm going out to the desert to slap that base. <laughs> and did you? I did not. I did not. I've not. Sla- I've never slapped the bass. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I was just that is that was something where like very early on it was they, they were a dividing line because they were they were raunchy. Yeah. And there was you know there was a, there was a, an aggressive sexuality to them, which as you point out in your great piece that you wrote about them, like it is not. It was not a predatory sexuality. It was a good-natured kind of like it was very much about waving your dick around, but it was kind of like waving your dick around just like in a celebratory way, not like pointing it at anybody necessarily. Right, which I think is very Parliament Funkadelic inspired, which they were just sort of the, uh, yeah, free your ass and your mind will follow. And Gary Scheider wearing a diaper leads to flea and them in uh, wearing the, doing the sock. yeah. Just dressing like an idiot on stage so that people know that you're kind of a goof. And then shredding your face off so they know you're serious about being a goof. So I've listened to both of these records, the Blink record and the Red Hot Chili Peppers record. They're both really interesting in their own ways and in in, in different ways. Uh, we should say that the Blink record is called California, which, I mean, come on, that's like right in the zone. That's like, a, I don't know, that's like a, yeah, I mean, Lou Reed had a record called New York, so anybody can do it. And then the Red Hot Chili Peppers record is called The Getaway. And that one is produced by Danger Mouse, and it's the most full band sounding Danger Mouse production that I can recall. It sounds like actual people playing in a room, which sometimes his things tend to not do. They all sort of have that arid kind of crazy vibe. Let's talk about the Chili Peppers first. Like the thing that I always notice as someone who listened to them back in the old days when they were kind of bad, especially as vocalists, is that autotune has like transformed this band. And I, each time <laughs> I have that experience of listening to a new Chili Peppers record, I wonder anew that suddenly like there's these hooks like, you know, that they now have that, you know, they have the range in a way that they did not before. They have that ballad lane. Hey, I believe to. that they claim it's because they worked really hard on their Beach Boys harmonies. For Californication, according to Flea. They just got super good at it. Yeah, yeah, that's what they said. They said they just like hunkered down and were like, we're going to just practice until we can do Beach Boys harmonies. And I choose to believe that there's no studio magic involved, even though I know this not to be true. Yeah, it's just weird because now the song is basically like it's, you know, it's your like Anthony Kiedis rap verse. It's like, you know, bubble rap, double tap, bap. and then like then it's like in the love, it just comes out like suddenly he's like, in, you know, he's Enrico Caruso. Like hey, in the, you he know, has always had that in him. 
He's had, I know, but there's a thing that happens. You know that there's a, there's a place that he goes to that he didn't used to be able to go to before. And maybe, I don't know, maybe he just he's really healthy and just drink a lot of tea. He does a lot of surfing. A lot of surfing. Uh, Flea, I know, does a lot of running because when I was in the habit of running the Silver Lake Reservoir, the most beautiful old man I have ever seen. Like you just sort of, you don't even process it immediately because you're just like, he's, he's super white and super shiny with sweat. And like, he's 75 years old and like, <laughs> he's not 75 no, years old. No, I know, old. but he just, it, does he, he have see, blue hair? Uh, he had like, I think like silvery blonde hair or something. And you kind of just, you know, you give him, give him the nod, you know, cause he's in the, he like, you know, I think he must live in the area. He, he had definitely the, lives in the area. In the he runs the Silver Lake Conservatory of Music. Yeah, so he's got a thing happening in the in you know, in in the zone. And I think uh, you know they like they use the the, the school near my house for uh, choir practice. And, you know, <laughs> that's where they, they work on thing. the harmonies. Yeah, exactly. Maybe look, I'm not impugning them as as uh, musicians at all. I'm just saying that there's there seems to be, and I'm a, I'm pro auto tune because I feel like it has actually it opens up dimensions for all kinds of artists that they couldn't go to and it's interesting that democratizes singing right that everybody it's not singers you don't have to like it's a certain class of person whereas suddenly like everybody can sort of hit a note and i think that's cool i like that but it does change what the songs are feel like what well, also it sets up false expectations that then a live show can't always deliver on that's my problem with autotune is you're like oh that person can sing and then you hear them sing and you're like mm, i don't know no he's a great turns out he's a great bass player yeah for a singer uh, studio magic. But I think what you're saying about Flea also, I don't know if that's just a California thing, but certainly something I associate with California, which is like really hot old guys that are just like have long hair and surf all the time. And you're like, what's up with those guys? Uh, that's been my experience every time I go to the beach where you're just like, who are all these hot dads that just look like they surf and skate every day? And I went to the zoo yesterday and there were just so many like hot punk families, you know, where you see like I saw a car that had like the Misfits logo in the the skull. But like with that thing where they show like a family where it's like <laughs> a little stick figures. But instead of stick figures, it was like little misfit skulls. Oh and so it God. was like two big misfit skulls and one's got a bow on it. And then like little misfit skulls and like one's got a bow on it representing this is, this is my fiend club yeah like Just your family is your fiend club oh and that is also very california e. I have a fiend club me. throw pillow in my house i will say do you yes i do see I, that's what i'm saying i had it before i had a family though i just but, owned it but now now it's yeah exactly now it's just you know it's the skull man that lives in my office yeah just punk rock dads I think uh, the the Blink album a little bit avoids sort of the the punk dad continuum more than I was hoping because they, you know, what, what I like about Mark Hoppus now is that he is such like an Orange County dad and all he talks about is like, I love my pool, <laughs> like making jokes at my wife's expense, but it's because I love her. And Yeah, I like the thing in there about him making like art link letter grade my wife kind of jokes oh I didn't yeah go, i did not i assume you did the deep dive there were like the, many the my wife jokes. i picked like 10 <laughs> hoppus tweets and i had to pick the one that i felt was the most indicative but there were a lot of like just good punk dad tweets about like oh man i just got fitted for these new pants and they've got like a great taper in the leg and i love them <laughs> He's getting his own pants. I, I don't think of them. I don't associate them with like good fitting pants. No, but that's part of that. I guess this is growing up is you, you 
stop wearing cargo shorts and sometimes you have to wear pants you figure out what your inseam is and you gotta yeah gotta wear those long but you should never stop wearing cargo shorts is my feeling there's no no reason my feeling is in california there's nothing you should ever have to do that you shouldn't be able to wear flip-flops and board shorts to that is that is controversial i i don't think it is controversial i think it's just a fact i don't know some people don't like to see feet yeah i think those people are wrong wow I'm going to turn this into a flip-flop discussion. No, it's cool. I I seriously, I get very angry at people that are like, men shouldn't wear flip-flops because it's like, well, do you wear flip-flops? Like, are you a girl and you wear sandals? Like, if you wear sandals, everyone should be allowed to wear sandals. Counterpoint, and I don't want to say, you know, I don't want to make this into a gendered thing, but I feel like women take better care of their feet. Disagree. Disagree. No, I think that's a stereotype. These are these things attached to my body and I don't care what they look like. I think some women have horrible feet and some dudes have, like, beautiful feet and everyone should wear whatever they feel comfortable wearing and again i think that's what i like about the chili peppers is you're like those guys never look embarrassed no i mean like fleas pants that are made out of stuffed animals oh it's the best that was a great moment that was probably i think that was probably when i first saw him because he's like because of the the, the bust a move video you know with the pants like yeah. that's or like that was probably my first consciousness of flea and then everybody was like super into flea flea was like the cool one because every like it was the it was the heyday. This was the early '90s. It was pre-Nirvana, and so all the sort of all the cool punk used to be punk, pre-alternative college thing. Like it was like they were funky. That was the thing. It was like they were the funky all, monks. The funky monks, and there were all these other bands that were kind of like that. That were in that zone. There was like sort of like you know there was Mr. Bungle, which was the Faith oh, No More side Bungle. project. I mean. The first crush I ever had was on like a camp counselor who was really into Faith No More. But yeah, I think there's something, uh, there's sort of like a feminine sensibility to Blink-182 and the Red Hot Chili Peppers that made them not just seem like meatheads. They seemed like sensitive meatheads and they all, I think, had, you know, interests, musical interests that seemed sort of like more than just your average punk idiot who only likes you know a list of pre-approved things they both had very broad taste and with blink the fact that they were so into the smiths and the cure is like you can really hear that in in the sort of sadness the poignance uh you know and maybe this is all something that i like to think about because it's sort of the the mirage that is the the bro with a heart of gold that both of them you know exemplify that i was like oh yeah you know what if that guy who seems like an idiot is secretly like really smart and sensitive (laughs) right and he doesn't just want you to watch him skate yeah what if that guy who i've been watching skate and i'm so bored of watching him skate like also reads books secretly (laughs) Has, has feelings about them uh mark hoppus though was almost an english teacher there you go. He was in college to be an English professor when he uh, left to, to join Blink to start touring. And he lived on his mom's couch. But he, you know, he has some very earnest quote about like the high school teacher who made Shakespeare come alive for him. He's very into American history. Apparently, he read a book about Benedict Arnold. I read this quote about how he was listening to an audiobook about Benedict Arnold. And he was like, and you know, like, I want to make sure I really absorb it. So I listen to the audiobook and then I go and read the actual book and I like take notes to like make sure that I'm it's getting through. That is such a defeating the purpose of the audiobook. <laughs> but I, I, I love that. He's totally, you know, he's a Dan Carlin on the tour bus kind of guy. He's like, we're going to listen to a 17 hour 
podcast about the siege of Leningrad. But that seems like such a dad move to oh, be yeah. like, all right, you know, now we're going to listen. Like that becomes your mixtapes. It's like listening to 17 hour audiobooks about historical events. I think what I like about this record, what I find... Which one? Blink? The Blink. Well, the Blink, what I find interesting about it, you point this out too, there's a weirdness because Tom DeLonge, not in the band anymore, busy chasing UFOs. I got kind of sad listening to the Blink album because of that kind of nostalgia, and I'm at the point in my life where any music that I ever heard when I was younger, I now like. Because I'm like, oh, remember this from before? Right. This is an artifact of the, the, yeah. the time. It doesn't matter if I liked it at the time. Now it just reminds me of other stuff. And I found myself just like shipping Tom DeLonge and Mark Hoppus real hard and being like, hey, you know, they're not friends right now, but like maybe another few years or just that thing of like, will they ever get back together will they ever you know they have no reason to they're just jillionaires and there's nothing motivating them to do it but you know will will they they seem like the kind of guys who would be sad if they never talked again yeah i mean it is it's a bummer as you pointed out that there are tom delong harmonies on this record sung by matt skiba from alkaline trio but he sounds like he's doing a tom delong yeah it's a he is in that he's in that zone of like oh we got a guy from the journey tribute band to be in journey like it's you know and it's i I, like i liked alkaline trio back in the sure back in the day it's not no disrespect to him and like you got to do your thing and like i think it's interesting that they've entered that point where like like Axel joins ACDC or something. It's like you just start recruiting from different, you know, like it's, it's punk is now, I guess at that point, like where metal was. And I guess that's probably happened with all the various kind of incarnations of like black flag or whatever that you just pull somebody out. It's like, you know, but it is weird that like, that it's, you're now just trading, trading members like baseball cards. Yeah. And it's not the same and they expect you to, to not notice. And of course you do. And then you're like, this is sad because <laughs> it's making me also think about how good Blink-182 are. The last time I was in San Diego, I was we were driving back from Tijuana, and it was literally like the moment we crossed into San Diego, a Blink-182 song came on the radio. And the guy handed you some vans. Yeah, the, no, actually, we stopped. We like had to stop to get gas, and so I there was like a coffee bean and tea leaf, and I got a ice blended which was the drink of my my tween years you know that's like where we would go socialize was at the coffee bean and so i was like just having all the feelings of like ah, i'm 13 ah no i'm not <laughs> what's my age again yeah i relate to that song more and more Thank you for joining us on this pop punk journey today, listeners of North Mollywood. And uh, yeah, shout out NoFX, shout out Op Ivy, shout out uh, Rancid. Face to face. Face to face. Shout out Goldfinger, who's uh, main dude, Feldy, not Fieldy, but Feldy. Very confusing. Produced the Blink record. And uh, shout out California. For, for bringing us the Chili Peppers and Blink-182. And everybody is always allowed to wear flip-flops and board shorts everywhere in my California. Does not necessarily represent the opinion of uh, the rest of this podcast. 
This episode of North Mollywood was produced by Michael Catano, Mukta Mohan, and Kasia Mihailovic for the MTV Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter at MTV Podcasts, and subscribe to this and other MTV podcasts on iTunes.